0: To Graphic Policy Radio. This is your host, Ilana Levin, and this is a comics podcast. But today we're bringing you a very special episode of the Venture Brothers podcast. Um, We know that fans of the Venture Brothers show have really come to be regulars and listeners on Graphic Policy Radio. And I have been extraordinarily busy right now with the conference that I run and have not been able to get all of my interviews with comics writers together. Plus, um, COVID is happening. Uh, so I decided this was an opportunity to just do something a little bit special and fun and do a throwback episode. Um, my co-host Stephen Attenwell and I began covering the Venture Brothers show in season six because it was when the show moved to New York. And so we never got to cover any of the earlier episodes. I asked folks what old episodes should we do and the verdict was pretty strong. The answer was you guys wanted us to cover Operation Prom from season four. That's season four, episode 16. And joining me today is Stephen Adwell. He writes People's History of the Marvel Universe for graphic policy and also writes Race for the Iron Throne, uh, for all you A Song of Ice and Fire fans. In his day job, he teaches public policy at CUNY's School of Labor and Urban Studies, who are actually also co-sponsoring my conference, Organizing 2.0. That'll take place entirely online April 17th and 18th. So... Because this is an older episode, um, I decided to break my usual rule of absolutely no recaps. Just use the internet asshole if you need a recap rule. Uh, What I've decided we're going to do instead is rather than doing a just look at the Wikipedia kind of recap, we're going to give you a short synopsis while also using those moments through the synopsis to reflect on the references that we see. So this is sort of a hybrid between recap and your uh, annotated episode. Type experience, And then after that, we're going to talk about some of the broader themes and some of the references that didn't quite make sense to just plop in in the middle of the synopsis. It's an experiment. Tell us what you think.
1: So, um, the episode opens uh, very much like the opening of a movie with credits over the action, introducing the characters. Uh, feels very much like uh, sort of World War II action films. Uh, the Dirty Dozen, Guns of Navarone, that kind I of thing. I love that movie. It's so good. Uh, leading the operation is Dr. Venture, who is organizing, quote, the best goddamn homeschool prom $500 dollars will buy with the help of the Order of the Triad, which consists of Dr. Orpheus. Our Dr. Strange slash Vincent Price slash dad.
0: Jefferson Twilight. Our Blackula Hunter slash Blade from the Marvel comics.
1: And the Alchemist.
0: Our Dana Snyder! I love that voice actor. He's so much fun.
1: Uh, in addition, we have Conjectural Technologies, Billy Quizboy and Pete White. A Quizboy and your college radio DJ. And his bodyguard,
0: Sergeant Vaitred. In his first appearance with a V, not an H on his forehead.
1: And Brock Sampson. You know him. Supposedly, in order to help his sons have a better prom than the one that he had, uh, Dr. Venture then hires a number of sex workers. Uh, later in the evening, when he strikes out with one of the ladies by offering her a rusty venture, uh, which turns out to be an urbandictionary.com-style sex act, he ends up mixing up a batch of genetically mutated and ethically problematic Spanish fly that ends up diffusing and then creating a crisis as the party reaches midnight. Uh, while being driven around by Brock in a bulletproof limousine, Hank and Dean attempt to get dates for the prom. Dean is dismayed to find out that Triana has a boyfriend and is only going out with him as a friend.
0: I'm gonna say that Triana's dress was disappointing. I had a goth prom dress, and that was not a goth prom dress. And this is a show that does such a good job of costumes that I was really looking forward to like it being a really cool outfit. So I was a little bit bummed about that opportunity because these guys really know costuming and no goth stuff. Um, I do like her flower crown though. And the other fun thing in that moment is we get to see Triana's mom, who's basic, basically just a vampira, which also means that Triana is a second generation
1: goth. Uh, meanwhile, Hank strikes out with his attempt to pick up the venture compounds, uh, much older male carrier. But decides to bring Dermot
0: along instead so that his band, Shallow Gravy, can play their first gig. So this is their rock band with Helper. And Helper is basically like a percussion slash Casio keyboard drum beat. And they're just like such a perfectly accurate, awkward 15-year-old band. Like, that's just what they do. Yeah. Also, their name is a pun. Can you tell?
1: Wow. Uh, Dean then spirals further uh, when he mistakes Triana's time on Urban Dictionary with her having been extremely sexually (laughs) active with her boyfriend, causing him to have an age-regressed screaming argument with Triana that results in her leaving the prom.
0: Yeah, he literally screams like poo-poo and pee-pee and it's all very embarrassing.
1: Yeah, it's not even like a good screaming argument um Hank and Dermot then decide to help uh to help Dean win Triana back uh a la the John Hughes movie Say Anything but it all takes an unfortunate clannish direction due to some miscommunication and poorly applied lighter fluid the outrider offers Dean some advice about moving on but Dean isn't having any of it and finally utters his first adult swear that's like a big moment I'm really interested in that
0: um, the Outrider, of course, is her, uh, Triana's mom's boyfriend. Um, I think he looks like the Phantom Stranger from DC Comics. And like the Phantom Stranger, he gives you life advice while being spooky. Um, and how helpful it is, is debatable.
1: Uh, meanwhile, uh, Henchman 21 infiltrates the Venture Compound, having given up on his uh, quest to solve the murder of Henchman 24, and winds up getting shot in the chest by Shoreleaf. You're a shipwreck from
0: G.I. Joe, but like deliberately
1: gay this time, Uh, which leads to him helping Sphinx, which is like Cobra, but more fun to say Sphinx, Sphinx Uh, on a mission, uh, becoming one of the guests at Hank and Dean's prom and eventually quitting on the monarch when it turns out that he and Dr. Mrs. the monarch are too kinky for him.
0: So, apparently cheating on your friend is okay, but your friend's having an open relationship isn't okay if you're 21? That just made me respect him a lot less.
1: Yeah, he's, um, you know, when you're kidnapped at age 11 and grow up in an all-male, mostly geek environment, uh, sadly, you don't always come out with incredibly enlightened views about sexuality. Um... Uh, over at Sphinx, uh, Colonel Hunter gathers, prepares for an awkward high school reunion-esque meeting at the OSI's hover quarters.
0: So the hover quarters is S.H.I.E.L.D.'s helicarrier. I, I know it featured prominently in the MCU movies, so people probably are all aware of it now. But it's basically this gigantic, too large to exist in real life, aircraft carrier that's also a helicopter. Um You know, some of the early art drawings of it are fucking amazing. So you should go and like look look at some of the Helicarrier art from the seventies.
1: Yeah, uh, especially like the Starenko stuff. Starenko, everything Jim Starenko does is gorgeous. gorgeous. Um, After reaching a Rastlin based detente with uh, his her old boss, uh, General Tracer, Tracer flies into a rage and gathers is knocked unconscious. Waking up to find that Tracer is supposedly a. Red Hulk? So, look, you've heard of your Hulks.
0: Um, In the comics, uh, the ongoing nemesis of the Incredible Hulk is General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross, who's also the father of his love interest, of course. And he gets so upset with the Hulk that he becomes that which he hates. He, like, injects himself with some Hulk serum or whatever the hell. And he becomes the Red Hulk. He also has a mustache and is also the Red Hulk in space at various points. So... It makes a lot of sense that General Traster would end up being the Red Hulk in space with a mustache.
1: However, Agents Doe and Cardholder tell Gathers that this was all just a ruse to cover for Traster's cancer and mental decline. But Gathers realizes that the two agents are actually the guild moles inside OSI that he had come there to warn uh, Traster about. After being captured, G- Gathers is escorted to the secret bridge of the Hover Quarters.
0: You know, I love that the Hover Quarters has a secret bridge because that implies that there are people who are assigned to working on a fake bridge that isn't the real bridge. So it's, which is just, it's so silly. Like the idea that you would have all these people whose job it is to pretend that they're running the bridge of the helicarrier and it's not even the real one. And then the real one has a ship steering wheel drawing it. It's very fanciful and ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I was going to say it's it's sort of a perfect uh, metaphor for the kind of like over the top, You know, cloak and dagger shenanigans that uh, Hammer and Public love to write. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So uh, Tracer reveals that an OSI plant inside of Sphinx uh, had used the Monstroso operation to flush out Doe and Cardholder, who are promptly arrested.
0: Uh, Tracer decides to shoot himself into space so that aliens can cure his cancer, leaving gathers in command of OSI.
1: Uh, After running his prom errands, Brock Samson sneaks off with one of the sex workers that Doc hired, only to be shot in the back by a Sphinx frogman, who turns out to be Molotov Cocktees.
0: Our Black Widow and Brock's personal femme fatale.
1: Who had been waiting for Sphinx to be distracted so, so that she could extract the real monstroso from captivity. The two engage in a limo-versus-motorcycle cliffside high-speed chase that ends with Molotov's limo dangling halfway off a cliff, a la The Italian Job. I love that movie. Yes, one of the best. Uh, Brock takes the opportunity to have it out with her, claiming that the two of them could never work as a couple because Molotov is a cold-hearted mercenary who cares for nothing save money. She retorts that she is acting out of love, having fallen in love with Mastroso after she realized that their shared bad guy natures make the two of them more compatible than she and Brock ever could be. She gives him her
0: Soviet chastity belt as a dramatic moment. That had been such a, I guess, iconic costume element for her character.
1: Yeah. Uh, Brock is furious to find this out and threatens to arrest the pair of them, but Molotov uh, reveals her ace in the hole. The sex workers that Doc hired are actually her Blackheart assassins and will kill everyone at the prom at midnight unless she sends an abort code.
0: So them being the Blackhearts? That's a reference to Joan Jett of the Runaways backing band when she went solo, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. The band is flawless. You should definitely go listen to them. This is like badass women rock and roll.
1: Yeah, one of my favorites.
0: Yay. Um
1: So, uh, Brock threatens to kill Monstroso to force her hand, uh, but Molotov seemingly chooses suicide instead by popping the hood release on the limousine, sending it uh, flying off the cliff into a fiery explosion.
0: With two minutes to midnight. Wow. I mean, I'm sorry, you can't, like, quote... Iron Maiden and expect me not to sing it. Brock races on motorcycle and foot to rescue his friends, only to find Doc's Spanish fly has caused everyone to bliss out, avoiding violence. Until the Blackhearts turn into actual flies, like from the fly, and start menacing the guests. Finally, at peace with the world, Brock draws his knife and smiles. He gets gets ready to do some violence
1: Um, And interestingly, uh, Public and Hammer weren't sure if the show would get continued after season four. Um, So this episode is very much an attempt at a season, uh, excuse me, a series finale, as well as a season finale.
0: Man, that would have been a really unsatisfying series finale. uh, Certainly
1: a very Brock-centric series finale.
0: Yeah, that, you're right. That is, and that's, you're right. That's why it wouldn't have felt good. I mean, Christ, as we approach what we assume must be the season series finale in the near future, I mean, it makes me think about like, what do we really want from it?
1: Mm.
0: Which I think would be, I don't know. What would you, what would you look for in a series finale for the Venture brothers?
1: Yeah. You know, it, it depends on kind of who we take as the focal point um it it definitely feels like you know especially like season 4 felt very much like the apogee of Brock's time as like the breakout character mm-hmm. and like especially seasons um uh 6 and 7 felt much more focused on um the boys yeah the boys and to a lesser extent uh Doc and the Monarch monarch as another pair of Venture brothers, like making it more about that, that conceit. Um, so shall we move on to talk about themes? Yes. Uh, so the first theme that we thought we'd talk about, uh, which is very appropriate, uh, given, you know, this is all about a prom is the theme of romantic failure. Um, and there's a lot of different examples throughout the episode. um, you know we can start with you know dean's sort of failed friend date with uh, triana he makes up a fail, uh, he makes up a fake girlfriend he gets kind of incel-y towards the end
0: yeah i mean i have to wonder like did triana tell him beforehand that they were going as friends and that she had a boyfriend because she she should have right and i can't tell if that happened or not it's totally fine to go to prom with a friend. I went to prom with a friend, but like you have to actually have conversation about that decision and it's not something you would just pop on people. But by the same token, like Yeah, Dean and is you being know,
1: Dean is very capable of like self um you know, delusion. So, delusion? I think it was more than yeah. just he hadn't expected Raven to be there and I think he thought that like The romantic nature of prom would like win her back because a big part of the reason why Triana left um, living at the venture compound is that like she had a vision Mm -hmm. of her future with Dean and was like noped out of it. Oh my God, I forgot that. Um, what episode was that even? I don't remember. It's the one where she goes inside, her, like she masters her fear and goes inside her closet and meets um, right. her father's uh, like mystical mentor.
0: Wow, I have to rewatch that. I'm interested in that. I mean, you know, obviously like she is a million years more mature than him. So that was never going to be a thing. But I love but Hank, tr- Hank trying to date the mail carrier is like, this is because she is the only woman who he witnesses ever and he doesn't know how to distinguish one kind of attention from another. Yeah. He tends
1: to have this sort of, uh, you know, like imprinting on women in the vicinity a lot. Um, you know, we see this like, uh, next season, uh, when he gets, uh, romantically linked to Dermot's mother, uh, just cause like mm-hmm. she's there. <laughs> she's a woman. um, also, the, the yeah. Quim twins told him to stop calling them. So, like, that option is sort of taken out. Uh, likewise, we learn that um, uh, Triana's friend Kim uh, is no longer a goth. hmm
0: I know. She went preppy and she's born again. And, like, fuck that. What a disappointing. You don't have... Look, you know, I mean, Alice Cooper is sober and born again, and he is still Alice yeah. Cooper.
1: Yeah. Um, I I was also, I wanted to throw in one thing, which is, you know, which I think ties in kind of the Dean Hank thing, which is when Triana leaves the prom, she tells Dean, you're not acting like a friend, you're acting like an asshole, which I think, like, really Mm -hmm. gets at that whole thing of, you know, like, the capital N, capital G, nice guy of, like, you know being friends when you're not actually friends or, like, pretending that you're a friend when you're not mm-hmm. actually a friend. Whereas, you know, Hank, in in the episode, like, actually decides to prioritize being a friend. Yeah. That's real. Um, Speaking of romantic failure, um, you know, the older generation is sort of hip-deep in that. Uh turns out that Billy's prom date was his mom. Um and Rusty's prom date was supposed to be Linda Lovelace.
0: Deep throat making me feel warm all over. Deep throat sending a chill up my spine. You yeah. you know you know from the soundtrack of deep of Deep Throat yeah it's like the big breakout porn movie of of the of the era it's interesting that definitely puts a date on his uh, youth I suppose yeah well
1: I mean you know he was supposed hmm. to be in college in like the you know sort of late seventies right
0: yeah yeah so I guess it was it I gotta I gotta see at what point did Linda Lovelace stop working in pornography and become and a born an anti-porn again anti-porn activist.
1: Yeah. And an anti-porn um, crusader and yes, ended up going out so, with mm-hmm. uh instead uh Andrea Dworkin.
0: Okay, Andrea Dworkin is pop culture's least favorite feminist philosopher predominantly because she's known for her anti-porn and anti-sex worker crusade. If you've heard of pro-sex feminism, it was a reaction against her and also against Ronald Reagan and all of his backlash. Um as much as I've literally written essays in opposition to Andrea Dworkin's philosophy, I don't like her being used as a punchline in this way. It just sort of feels sloppy and also maybe a little bit like yeah, a fat it's, joke it's or something. it's sort of, you know, I don't there's, know. There,
1: effectively you have two anti-porn activists, but one of them used to be a porn star and the other one didn't. Yeah. So, you know.
0: Did not. Um,
1: <laughs> but, you know. Adding to that sort of like, you know, uh complex that Rusty has going on, uh Rusty's dad brought ten Dallas cheerleaders uh to his prom, which is just like especially in the context of the nineteen seventies, like this enormous Freudian moment. That's like ten. Like what do you even do with ten I mean, people yeah, on a date? It, that's not, that's no, like not No, that's like thing. Hugh Hefner performative sexuality as opposed to like yeah. actual, yeah. you know, Polly. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, and of course, like Rusty kind of carries this forward when uh, not only does he uh, try to hire sex workers who are supposedly for his sons, which is creepy, uh, but, you know, actually for him. Um, and... Yeah. He
0: wants one of them to dress uh, like Hawk Girl, which
1: well, I appreciate specifically. Billy Quizboy that. that. He just kind of goes along with it. Oh right, Billy so uh, really
0: Quizboy wants her to look like Hawk Girl. Yeah. Share a hall, I guess.
1: Uh, Rusty, on the other hand, uh, you know, is too cheap um, to be a a good you know a conscientious patron, and decides to go with uh, you know two half service and one. Uh, sorry, and four uh, goodnight kisses, which is just, like, that's just sad. <laughs> um, it's, he's bad at
0: everything he does, including, like, literally, be, like, purchasing services. Like, he's not capable of yeah. doing that in a decent way.
1: Um, you know, the, I guess a slightly, like, better example of, like, relationship dynamics is... Is that, uh, Sergeant Vatred and Princess Tinyfoot reconcile with the help of, uh, the Monarch and Dr. Miss- or actually, really, Dr. Misses the Monarch.
0: Do we know that, though? Like, I feel like she's just in his proximity, and we have to go by other word that well, she wanted to be tied up in that It's kind situation. of hard
1: when a character literally has a ball gag in her mouth every single time she's on camera, um...
0: Yeah, I think it's like it's hard to say. I I actually was almost expecting there to be a reveal where she was like, "Wait, I'm sorry, I said what?" But I like what happens. With so them they after end
1: up that? getting I, crowned uh, prom king and prom queen uh, because right, like, he promises to be like more uh, receptive to her needs, responsive um, to
0: her needs. But again, she's well, articulated yeah, she's none really of, more of a so it's all very a character. Crushy. And it's consistently been so as well. I'm just trying to remember what happened with them later on, because it's um, not like they I stayed together.
1: Princess Tinyfoot. I mean, partly, you know, part of the reason why I don't care about this is I really don't like Sergeant Vatred. I think he's one of the worst, mm. like, ongoing characters, especially, I can't remember whether it's, like, this season or... Mm next season or the previous like where he spends the whole season uh and his like anti-pedophilia medication gives him breasts and it's just like no guys this is just not how to how to do anything um i think he's
0: probably the least popular character on the show and it's amazing how yeah much he's persisted. he
1: uh uh yeah he's not great um Oh, uh she does apparently dump him again in uh next at the beginning of next season. So it didn't really uh last very long.
0: Yeah, I just I just I just want some sort of confirmation of like she really wanted that or not, because we just we just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we just don't know. But you know what we do know? Surely, and the Alchemist are basically the only healthy couple. Now, granted, this episode is their meet-cute, but I think they do just stick together from there on out. And it's because they communicate directly and they have something in common. You know, they're both in the superhero, super-villain game, and they're both kind of parts of, like, traditional gay culture in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, they're, they're, they're nice. very cute together. Um, you know, I especially liked it when, uh, you know, they kiss towards the end of the evening and, like, Alchemist does the whole, like you know, lifting one leg, you know, Hollywood thing.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, the other key piece, of course, is I just love, like, that I because that we've talked about, like, is there a drink called the Rusty Venture? Well, definitely now there's a sex act, but no one can agree on the meaning of it. They just know that it's really disgusting. I enjoy how that becomes sort of a game of telephone through the yeah. episode, where they keep asking each people like, what it means. They bring in, like, Colonel Gentleman, and really Watch and yeah. watching
1: Ward, and it's just like, keeps ping-ponging yeah. around
0: and like i you know the thing is like there's this whole world of urban dictionary defined sex acts that are like not really a thing and like it's sort of like a stunt or a joke of like somebody making up of what they think would be the most revolting thing they can think of and it's it's i don't know yeah. uh, it makes a lot of sense that that would be one of rust that that that, that rusty a rusty venture would be a joke but also that it wouldn't really yeah even be it's a thing. it's yeah,
1: it's, it's like a fake thing. A different kind it's of, like, joke. performative sexuality thing. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like a, it's, it's a, it's a stunt. Yeah. Um, uh, similarly, uh, you know, uh, one way that sort of romantic failure comes up in this episode is, you know, having struck out, uh, Rusty then decides to make uh Spanish fly with a mutated uh, radioactive spot, uh, fly. Um, and like he and Billy have this like conversation about how, you know, Spanish fly is a roofie and that's a really fucked up thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, and also like, Uh, The fly is angry because they took its wings off. Like that's like, that's just fucking violent. I mean, it's very,
1: you know, in character for someone who once built a joy can uh, from the heart of a heart of an orphan, orphan. but it's still like, you know, the whole thing is just like deeply fucked up from beginning to end. Um, so finally, and like, You know, I think this is what a lot of the episode is building to. We have Brock and Molotov as, like, a bad codependent relationship that just needs to end.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it was dragging out, and I'm glad that they put an end to that one. You know, you have this parallel of Brock chasing Molotov while the boys are trying to get to Triana. Like, it's literally cut together and stuff like that. you know...
1: As much as, like, Brock derides the whole, you know, if if you love someone, set them free. It's like, you know, dude, she's moved on. She has a boyfriend now. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, mm-hmm. move on with your life. Um, so the next theme that we wanted to talk about, somewhat related to this whole idea of romantic failure, is this theme of, like, people whose own proms sucked trying to recapture the magic.
0: Which is a real phenomenon. Like, a lot of parents try to live out their high school glory days the way they wish they'd been through their kids. And it's really fucked up and pathetic. Um, and these are adults who definitely missed on having the youth that they would have wanted. And, and so they're trying to project it onto the sons. And what's so funny is, like, the boys don't really care about those markers yeah, and well, those Yeah, well, you know,
1: the, part of the reason is that, like, they weren't exposed to any of, like, you know... They're weird clones who've grown up on a mm-hmm. compound and they know super science and they don't really, you know, because they're like incredibly homeschooled, they don't really have any like, uh, you know, way of evaluating any of this like cultural baggage that the older generation have. Um, and, you know, you have, um, you know... Rusty, like, <coughs> is trying to do a better job than his dad did of giving his kids a normal childhood. You know, prom is, like, as dumb as it is, it is like an American adulthood ritual, or at least has been since... I actually did some research on this. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty much just mm-hmm. like the mid-20th century. Like, there were proms. That's There makes were proms sense. in, like, the yeah. 1920s, <laughs> but they don't really seem to have been as big a deal, this is really more like post-war fifties.
0: Post-war. Yeah. It makes a lot Um, of sense.
1: You know, but he ends up doing a a shitty job of it.
0: And they don't care. Like it's not Um, what they wanted.
1: And of course, part of the reason that he, you know, he, he does such a bad job is that, like, he's more focused on the fantasy of getting laid and, like, the fantasy of being, you know, the homecoming <coughs> king or whatever than, like, what his kids are actually into, um, which is, you know, like, y- yet another way in which he replicates his whole, his father's whole thing of, like, you know, overbearing and negligent at the same time.
0: And you have this comparison with Sphinx and there kind of being a high school reunion for uh, Hunter Gathers, who left left OSI, and now he comes
1: back. Yeah, and, you know, high school reunions have a very similar feel to proms. You know, they're also dances held in the school gym, right? And everyone's coming back, Mm -hmm. and they're, like, trying to, you know, recapture that nostalgia, but, like it's never that good. You know, on the other hand, like, I feel like that is something of a transient phenomenon now, because like, you know, Hmm. with Facebook and other forms of social media, like I'm still in contact with all of the like high school and college friends who I want to be in contact with. And I don't have to like go back to my high school hometown to like catch up, you know. I know what's happening in their lives.
0: That's true. I mean, hmm. yeah, it's all very mid-century, I and mean, that's was sort of one of the. And the seventies piece of it is also, you know, one of their other big obsessions, of course, of the, of the show as uh, well. Um, you know, we, one, none of the music that they're playing is what Hank or Dean would have been asking for either. It's just what big Pete and Billy liked when they were in college, but. Also, sort of a little bit of like trying to perform as being a traditional DJ, um, but like I don't really think that Hank and Dean have ever until we until they're in New York. Like, I've, I've not seen at this point in the show neither of them have really expressed any interest in any particular. Uh, music I mean, anyway. you
1: know, Hank has his band, but like, I don't know if he, you know, ha- yeah, has he listened like, to other bands. What <laughs> to me? I mean, okay, he knows Led Zeppelin because of Brock. I think that's kind of about it. Right. Um whereas yeah. like, you know, I think that most of their like, you know, Shallow Gravy's like aesthetic is driven by Dermot's weird, try hard, um, you know, wannabe kind of thing. Yeah. And he's the one who's actually a real young person, like, living in the moment and age yeah. of the show. Um, another sort of, like, prom thing that I don't really know why people do and, you know, <laughs> uh, is, like, spiking the punch, right? Which, you know, like, goes horribly right and then horribly wrong, you know? And it's sort of not clear, like, which would have been better outcomes. Hmm.
0: Definitely not having everybody melt into flies and run around in horror. I also love that neither Hank, like they dress. The he's like, look, I made you both prom Kings because this is a thing that has value and meaning to you that you know that I, your father have bequeathed it to you. And they don't give a fuck. Of course they
1: don't yeah. care. Um, the other theme that like, you know, speaking about caring and not caring is this like theme of, um, positivity and negativity. like, you know, it goes into, like, the, the longer-running theme in the show of, like, failure and coming to terms with failure. And in this case, it's, like, being okay with things being lame. Like, moving past the need to, like, for things to be cool and choosing to help mm-hmm. instead.
0: Like... You have 21, you know, he'd been on his stereotypical revenge quest and in super villainy. And he realizes that that's actually kind of embarrassing and isolating and that maybe he'd like to actually hang out with people who are competent and do things with them. Like the OSI guys are doing. It was kind of cool to have him being friends with, uh, I, I keep wanting to say shipwreck, but I mean, shore leave. Um, and, uh, it would have been interesting, yeah. It would have been interesting to see actually have 21 go and join OSI. Um, and, he and spends
1: like, most of next season uh, with Sphinx. Oh, that's right. Um, but, like, eventually kind of... Yeah, can't, comes back, can't make yeah. a go of it and just sort of retreats back to what's comfortable.
0: Um, and, you know, despite, like, really striking out... On the, by the norms of prom Hank has a much more positive attitude and he just tries to focus on friendship and rock music and have a good time and not try to hold himself to this, like, I don't know, fictional, culturally imposed standard of what his prom is yeah, supposed you know, to be. It's,
1: it's one of the things that, uh, gets really intense next season. Cause I think next season, yeah, is like the one where Dean starts like wearing a black, um, speed suit and like dyes his hair black. And gets very moody mm-hmm. and teenagery, which is, like, on the one hand, uh, you know, it shows that, like, he's actually becoming a teenager after being stuck as, like, a tween for however many years, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, it's, like, it's not a positive—it's it's like a way station, you know, you kind of need to move past it. Hmm. Right,
0: right. And I think also, I mean, do you want to talk about the radiation therapy, cancer treatments? Sure. So, you know,
1: partly this is kind of like playing off Stan Lee's weird relationship with science. I mean, I could do a whole podcast about like what he thought magnets and magnetism did. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're just amazing. Uh, How do they, you know, Stan Lee, proto-Juggalo. Um, but, you know, in this case, it's like, you know, literally every time anyone gets exposed to radiation in, like, early Marvel, whether it's, like, the Fantastic Four and Cosmic Rays, or cosmic Peter Parker rays. and the Spider, like, good things happen to you. It's not like, oh, dear, you've got cancer. Um, you know, so, on the other hand, like... You know, uh, General Traster kind of has, like, you know, a, a positive but kooky, like, take on, you know, his whole situation. Which is, like, you know, I, I may have incurable cancer and I, you know, sometimes think I'm a Hulk. But, you know, I'm gonna shoot myself into space and let aliens fix me, because why not?
0: <laughs> and he does get grabbed yeah, at some he point, shows right? up
1: um, when they do the, like, what's it, um, return, yeah, Gargantua, Gargantua 2, too. kind of, what was that even? It was like, it was sort of an interstitial two-parter? I don't even remember, like, what yeah. season that was technically part of.
0: Mm. Well, anyway, we see him as a frozen meteorite in space in the future. And another cool moment is, you know, we talk about this a lot in our more recent work, but like you have this reference of Dr. Mo- Venture and the monarch being related here. When the monarch gets a change of clothes from the and he says, you're a size doc, right? As in, you are a similar size to doc, which he is. They are. Yeah,
1: they're significant. Both skinny redhead dudes.
0: Um, so some more references we wanted to help folks see. Uh, The dance floor is literally the Saturday Night Fever dance floor from the movie Saturday Night Uh, Fever. With uh,
1: the walking eye serving as disco ball.
0: Walking eyes are so cool. Um, So we have, uh, you can tell when this episode came out because um, Triana's boyfriend is the boy from Twilight. Uh, His name is Raven. (laughs) He's so fucking perfect. And yeah, he's like the emo James Dean or emo as one would have characterized it and portrayed it in the year 2010 or 2011 uh, not as we would have described it in the year 1998 or so but we won't go down that path um one of and like yeah it's just really strong physical resemblance they want you to see between him and um James the Pattinson. actor who plays
1: oh sorry Thank Robert yes. god damn i i i apologize yes. to the, the current <laughs> batman
0: Ah, yes. Um, just really, just a spot-on drawing of him. Um, and I guess that's sort of like him being a character that's established as a romantic rival in another sort of teen fiction story yeah. makes sense, right? And I'd, I, we were talking about how how telling it is that... Um, which of the boys uh, asks if he's a cyborg? Hank, that makes sense. It's Hank. Yeah. And of course the show was like, no, he's not a cyborg. Those are his crutches. But in reality, he is a cyborg because any of us who use external devices were, are functionally cyborg. I, mean, like, I literally have a computer-assisted leg
1: like, you know, that I have to plug in at night. Like I am a cyborg.
0: they are very futuristic. And so it was interesting because he's like, no, he's not. But, but also it was like the boys are like, well, you know, they
1: live in a world where there's all
0: kinds yeah, of I mean, very high-tech It would high-tech be perfectly cyborgs.
1: reasonable for them to assume that. Uh, given their, their. Weird but I totally watched reference. that,
0: yeah. But I totally watched that, and I was like, "Well, technically, according to the works of Donna <laughs> Haraway, he, he would be considered a cyborg." Anyway, whatever. He's a little one-off character who I enjoyed. Uh, this episode was very, very full of GI Joe stuff.
1: Yeah, so you know, obviously, um, the OSI and Sphinx are stand-ins for GI Joe and Cobra, and they've got like. This whole, you know, at this point, like, two seasons worth of running gags Mm -hmm. about, like, Sphinx and OSI uh, being, um, you know, G.I. Joe and Cobra, but, like, complete with war crimes, and um, there's the whole business of uh, the Pyramid Wars of 1987, which is, like very much peak GI Joe era for the cartoon. Yeah. yeah. And the toys and all that.
0: Um, I love the reveal that the reason why the Rusty venture is potentially associated with being a mysterious sex act is because of Rusty's like big fandom in the gay community I love the moves um, with Shore Leave and The Alchemist chatting. Like, your cartoon was huge in the gay community. We used to throw rusty venture parties in the Castro. We'd all wear striped tops and little shorts. How did you not know? Man, you're like a little Twinkie Cher, a ginger freaking Liza Minnelli. I love that, like, Doc doesn't know that he's like a camp icon. Like, he's just unaware of this fact. And that these other characters, have just totally embraced it, Uh, I realize I should probably explain the Castro to folks. Um, The Castro is a neighborhood in San Francisco that began in the end uh, began in its current guise at the end of World War II. Um, It was America's first gay neighborhood, you know, real gay neighborhood, um, and it became a place where sailors were disembarking because San Francisco is that big port town um, from after world war ii and developed as like a, as a gay neighborhood, a gay district hello shore leave hello sailors um and it's interesting as the fashion look ubiquitous there in the late 60s and the 70s was uh the became to refer to as the castro clone look which like i guess if you're if you guys are thinking about like tom of finland might be the best way i could describe but you also have like this very traditional masculine but like over the top in ways that are just very butch and gay nonetheless. And it's lots of serious mustaches, which means Shore Leave totally yeah. fits in um, there.
1: The uh, other thing that we wanted, you know, uh, in terms of, of references, so the Outrider, uh, we already talked about, like, how he's kind of the Phantom Stranger. He's also a little bit Solomon Kane, like, especially his, like, giant hat is very uh, Solomon Cain-esque.
0: Puritan. Solomon came, being uh, the-
1: yeah, the Robert E. Howard um, Puritan, uh, uh, yes, uh, swashbuckler um, fighter, and uh, not so much in his attitude. Like he's kind of a like a slacker stepdad at this point. Um, but you know, also uh, you should know, like an outrider is a kind of scout. It's like a, a term for someone who rides ahead of an army to like make sure that they're not walking into an ambush
0: uh i i I like how he's just like dispensing he's like the dad that you didn't ask for he's just there dispensing advice that nobody's looking for some of the coded speech with like hunter gathers is um who got in case we didn't mention it already is a hunter s thompson uh metaphor for like the actual journalist um he's saying uh Brando's got us on our bellies and he's reaching for the butter as like co-words, code words. And like, ouch, that's like a reference to Last Tango in Paris, which, um, as we have learned, in case anybody didn't know, um, the rape scene in that movie with Marlon Brando uh, was like the actress who was playing the woman in that scene wasn't told that that scene was going to be performed. So she thinks that she's about to get raped which is completely fucking evil. Um, uh, Yeah, it's definitely not a movie I would watch at this point. Yeah, it's sort of the the
1: worst of the sort of uh, like male auteur worship of the 70s kind of curdling into just absolute tax toxic masculine
0: yeah another movie that gets a big shout out there is when they're trying to when the boys are trying to plan their stunt to get triana back they're like it's going to be like the crow which i guess that's dermot who must have said that right because i couldn't believe the boys would have watched something that took place in the 90s you know i believe the crow is the only movie that has a character who's a community organizer in it it's true uh that's his girlfriend who gets killed
1: yeah probably
0: so it was big in the 90s People likes to associate it with goth culture, but it really wasn't goth. I will be the definitive judge of such yeah. matters. Although I did appreciate that it had a couple of good songs um, in the soundtrack.
1: So, finally, uh, we wanted to talk about like Dean's romantic gesture, um, which parallels the like moment in Say Anything when John Cusack's character uh, like holds a boombox uh, up over his head, and you know to like say that he's sorry and win back the girl who dumped him Uh,
0: he's playing in your eyes by Peter Gabriel Um,
1: which you know as yeah which as like many you know we're not the first to like notice or like talk about the fact that like that you know moment which got like endlessly uh, repeated and like uh, referenced and played on and like adapted both in like rom-coms and, and other, uh, uh, you know, properties, is, like, actually a very fucked-up stalkery gesture, right? You know, she said, I don't want to have anything to do with you, and he violates her boundaries. Um, that, you know, John Hughes, who, like, has this kind of famously problematic view on, uh, you know, these matters like very much played a significant role in normalizing and like warping a lot of people's mentality about like what romantic relationship should be like and how you should behave if you want to like have one and begin one you
0: know yeah and I appreciate this show is sort of like hey that's fucked up and isn't gonna work right yeah, and- good on you i also love i also love jermott saying goths are into spooky stuff and so no he doesn't say that's right uh dean says goths are into spooky stuff and he dresses up as a ghost uh because he was told that goths are into spooky stuff and i just love that's like ghosts aren't sexy vampires are sexy and it's like you have this line about like what counts as like sexy horror and therefore like is goth adjacent and what stuff is just doesn't really fit as a thing you would want to dress up as Um, but certainly wearing a white sheet is never a good decision.
1: Uh, wear a sheet, get beat as they say.
0: So speaking of music, which we, I guess we were, because I was beginning to talk about goth and I could do that for hours. Uh, I, one of the reasons that I just love Pete White is that Pete White and I understand each other. And, um, like, I think Billy is complaining because um, Pete White is playing the Fun Boy 3 version of Our Lips Are Sealed instead of the Go-Go's. And he's saying, it's like, you know, the, well, the Go-Go's version is stale. And I have to say, Pete White is right. The Go-Go's version of Our Lips Are Sealed. Nothing wrong with that song, but it is really played to death, whereas the Fun Boy 3 version is much less ubiquitous and therefore more interesting choice to play on the dance floor. Fun Boy 3 was the post-Madness spin off group of like the ska band from the 80s, Second Wave yeah. Ska you should check them out. They're cool. Um, it is a... You were saying that they... I was, was going to yeah, say, it sorry, is a bit ahead.
1: of a shame that we don't get to see their choreographed uh, couples dance to push it. And I just totally made an
0: ass of myself. I meant uh, Fun Boy 3 being a spinoff from the specials. Not madness. Um, yeah, I would have enjoyed any kind of choreographed dancing from them. I think they would have done a very good version of that. Um, and that song is a classic, which they definitely could not have afforded. So we were talking about all the various generic versions of songs that Pete plays because, <coughs> you know, it's expensive to get a good pastiche done. And the show has a, had a, a range of levels of success and the qualities of their pastiches. Like they had a really good of underground pastiche, like that episode, their Zeppelin pastiches have been not so hot mixed bag. Um,
1: so, so what, what were you I thinking think of, his, of some of some of the pastiches they did is here? Either supposed to be the hustle or the BGS, like the the one that's like very clearly disco. Not entirely sure. Um, just because it is just kind of a disco beat. Um, there's also a conga line, which is like, I don't know, I, I pretty gen, you know generic for yeah, a, a bar exactly. mitzvah a wedding, um, etc.
0: It's what like I, the electric slide. What I really like enjoyed people, was...
1: Large groups of people yeah. know how to do. Uh,
0: what I enjoyed also was the a large quantity of a pretty good pastiche of Blue Monday by New Order. And it also kind of worked as being You Spin Me Right Round, you know, by Dead or Alive. So you have a very, like, they, they understand their 80s synth pop yeah. is what I'm saying which of course they do like doc like and and uh and like um i mean he was in a goth band i i hope folks are aware that doc hammer was in a goth band um and additionally you know gd thurwell really understands his actual composer of the show really understands uh, I actually his own his there. album
1: of music from the show because it's just like it is it's gorgeous a lot of fun just to put on uh, while you're doing other stuff
0: so the other thing that I love about them being such big music nerds is that they like really know things. So during this episode, I think it's like 24 is like complaining about um, he's like, oh, why am I with Mr. Wendell from Arrest the Development? And this whole the, the band, not the TV show, the the, the, the 90s hip hop uh, group collective. And when they say that, I'm just like, that's not Mr. Wendell. That's Baba OJ, who was rest of development spiritual advisor and what i love about the venture brothers is is that they know that and they have later on someone is like what that's not mr wendell mr wendell's a character they write about baba oje was in the band i'm like yes exactly one of these is a character from the music video and the other of them is like a was the band spiritual advisor and it was an actual like cool old cool old dude um and um like And and, like, so one of these is a fictional person. The other one of these is a real person. They're not the same person. These are different elderly black (laughs) men. And like, the Venture Brothers show knows that. And so the whole time when I'm like, but that's not, that's not, they they know that's part of the show. I was going (laughs) to say, it's, that's that's
1: very 21 and 24. Um, Like, whenever they make Mm -hmm. music references, I mean, I'm thinking especially the um, wedding two parter where they're talking about Bowie albums. And like Mm -hmm. 21's favorite Bowie album is a best of compilation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, which is like an insult to my sensibilities, but it's true. They are always talking past each other like that because you know that the writers are the guys who are like actually correct about the music and they have to have these conversations with people who don't, who are not as correct about the music. And I relate to that struggle greatly and how frustrating it is when other people are wrong all the time. Uh, Anyway, you were saying,
1: um, Uh, We also get uh, Shoreleave referencing South Pacific. Which, of course, like he's into musicals
0: from uh, you're going to wash that man right out of your hair, he says, like from South Uh, Pacific. It's
1: kind of overdetermined, but that is sort of Shoreleave's shtick is that like, you know, he's he's not just uh, a gay super spy, but he's like a very classic gay culture super spy
0: yeah and that is an expression that people oh, use like yeah. people, I, i've heard I have heard people say, Wash that man right out of your hair as like it's like a thing yeah and it's also, not like a fake expression you know
1: it's a, a good joke because like Sphinx constantly brainwashes people to like yes,
0: yeah. thank you. there you go. Um,
1: so finally, in talking about music, um, I want to talk about the one non-generic song uh, that they play. Uh, right at the end of the, the episode. Um, so, Like a Friend, um, a song about a relationship that went bad. Um, you know, like, clearly, um, Brock and Molotov, they were, like, thinking of the lyrics as they're writing their scenes. Because one of the lyrics to the song is, like, uh, goes, uh, you're like a body hidden in the trunk. Which, you know... Uh, the limousine trunk is like a whole, you know, running motif in this episode. Um, and it's also echoed by Triana when she says, you're not acting like a friend.
0: What's so funny to me is I'm so used to this show just using pastiches that I'm listening to the scene and I'm like, oh, they did a really good job with that pulp pastiche. Wow. Like, it didn't occur to me that it was actually yeah, the pulp song.
1: It, so it did this not occur song to me. made up like an enormous proportion, not just of the episode budget, but of the season budget. Um, and it's funny that that uh, you mistook it for a, a really good pastiche because I confused it with Disco 2000, another pulp song uh, about a relationship that never happened, um, you know, which like really fits in with the Dean Triana um, thing, because that was also, you know, a relationship of like geographic convenience that just never went anywhere.
0: Totally good. Yeah, that's totally right on. And folks should listen to both of these songs because they're actually really excellent. i
1: tell you what's really weird, though. The music video for "Like a Friend" is specifically a music video for the Ethan Hawke Gwyneth Paltrow version of "Great Expectations," a um, story that is famously <laughs> about a toxic, not quite relationship, you know, between a boy and a girl.
0: I mean, but if that's also like the most nineteen ninety what seven like thing. Yeah, you it could was not a good <laughs> version of "Great Expectations. Have It Be." But, like, that it's Pulp doing this song for yeah. it is just amazing. For great expectation. And, like, what's Gwyneth Paltrow? Like, what could possibly be more late yeah. 90s than Gwyneth um, Paltrow?
1: You know, before her whole kind of goop renaissance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but I, I, did, I, I have, like, one last bit of trivia about Like a Friend, which is, you know, and this is, like, different worlds colliding. Uh, Jarvis Cocker, the lead singer slash songwriter for Pulp. Uh, found out about the song being f- featured on Venture Brothers. And in a concert uh, live from Radio City Music Hall, he dedicated a song, uh, his like rendition of Like a Friend to uh, Public and Hammer, and did the whole Go Team Venture thing from the stage. And it's like a crying goddamn shame that the YouTube video. Of that performance is no longer Available because it's eight years old Damn
0: it Yeah, who took that down? Probably the record That is so local. cool, like I always love Yeah, it's you know It's sort of like I really wish I knew that Bowie Knew that he was You know, a super deity Practically in the Venture Brothers cartoon Like if he'd had the opportunity yeah. to find that out um, And so you wonder Like, well it's good that at least Pulp knew that Like it actually appreciated the show yeah. In return, that's a lot of fun Well, that's what we have for you guys today. Um, If you'd like us to go and do another old Venture Brothers episode, tweet me. I'm at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. Um, And uh, tell us what episode you'd like us to cover. We also have some really exciting stuff coming up. I sat down for a lengthy two-part interview with classic comics artist and writer Jerry Ordway. Like, this guy inked Infinite Crisis. Okay, Crisis and Infinite Earths. I mean, both of those things. Uh, he's like the reason why anybody cared about Shazam until the movie came out. Um, and he's a wonderful dude. And I have some other interviews coming up as well. And um, I appreciate folks for bearing through this slow uh, process of getting some new episodes up we've had. But thank you, Stephen, for helping me make this happen. I appreciate you so much. And where can uh, folks so find you your work find on the me, internet? Uh,
1: uh, on Twitter, at Stephen Atwell. Uh, you can find me at WordPress and on Tumblr at Race for the Iron Throne, uh, where I'm trying to, you know, do my own bit to help us get through these long, uh, comicless weeks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I would be happy to, I mean, we're going to also get to talk about some older comics as well soon on the show, by the way. I have a very exciting special guest going to join me to talk about classic Daredevil. Um, and we have, um, Elsa, Alyssa Chartier, uh, comic artist of November and she worked on an unstoppable wasp is going to be coming on too as well. So thank you guys. And, uh, see you on graphic policy. We're on every single podcast platform, please like rate and review. It really does make a difference for us. And, um, thank you to David Levin, my brother, for being an awesome producer. And as we like to say, keep it geeky.